I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to be rather brief, but I can't make any promises. So before we start, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance we have to come here and dive into your word. I just ask that you'll speak through me and keep me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Are y'all ready for a big revelation you've probably never heard before? Please catch my sarcasm there. We live in a terribly unloving world. I know I'm pointing out the obvious here. So for those of you that don't know, I graduated high school about four years ago. I know that doesn't seem very long, but I've noticed a lot of differences in the world from then until now. I don't know if it's became less naive or what it is. But regardless, the fact of the matter is, the reason why our world is so unloving is because they don't know what love is. And love is a person. It's love is the Lord Jesus. And something that broke my heart a few months ago, I was scrolling on Facebook, you know, as we do, and I saw an article from the Gospel Coalition where it basically proved that most people who claim Christ in the United States of America are not actually Christians. So let me read you some statistics really quick. 48% of adults believe if someone is generally good or does enough good things during their life, they will earn, quote, earn a place in heaven. So basically, the Islam belief, you're good outweighs your bad on a scale. You know, we got good, we got bad. You know, this is clearly heavier, so you're going to hell. Or on the flip side, you got your good, you got your bad. Oh, you made it, you're good. No, it's not the way it works. And only 35% disagreed with it. 52% of American Christians accept a works-oriented means to God's acceptance. So do your work, you get God's acceptance. 46% of Pentecostals, 44% of mainline Protestants, and 41% of evangelicals hold to this. 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians, but only 54% of them believe they will experience heaven after death. Only 33% of adults believe they will go to heaven solely because of confessing their sins and embracing Jesus as their Savior. 33%. Another 20% are expecting to experience heaven because they're counting on earning their way to heaven or they embrace the doctrine of universalism where all men, including your Hitlers or your Stalins or even your Zach Feldmans, will be in heaven because God is so loving or really a sappy sentimental deity according to them. Um, among those holding differing views, 15% said they do not know where they will go after death. 13% said there is no life after death. 8% believe they will be reincarnated. Another 8% believe they'll go to place pur purification like purgatory. And 2% believe they will go to hell. This article, as I just said, is revealing that most American Christians do not know the gospel, which means they're not Christians. So I said this earlier when Pastor Jamie was here. I don't want y'all to think I'm sucking up to him. I'm just the lowly youth intern, so y'all really scraped the bottom barrel today. But <laughs> Pastor Jamie clearly preaches the gospel every week, and we should be very thankful for that because most churches either preach moralism, a do good, be a good person, follow the commandments as best you can without any grace or without Jesus, or they preach a social gospel where Jesus died so that we can go do all the things, which... Neither are true. And on top of that, True Life Church, and as a member of True Life, I myself would hold to a doctrine that once a person is truly saved in the arms of Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, they will remain saved. As Philippians 1.6 would say, he who began a good work and you will finish it. And so with that, 
The name, the title of this sermon is The Security of God's Love. Oh, good job, Ryan. Very quick on that. Um, so let's dive into 1 John chapter 4, and then we'll start in verse 7 and go all the way through 21. And I'll give you all a second to get there. All right. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but I think the New King James is on the screen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved, God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also are we in the world. There is no fear in perfect love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so let's go through verses seven through 10. We're gonna hit them one by one and then we're gonna summarize them with something that Club 56 knows and they know they're about to be called on so they're prepared, right? Guys, we're prepared. All right, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Pretty simply, the apostle John is saying, if you are born of God, if you're saved, you will love people. Pretty simple, because love comes from God. It comes in the person Christ Jesus. Verse eight. Anyone who does not love God, or excuse me, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John, he really likes doing this. He'll, he repeats what he's saying, but in the negative. So earlier he was saying, those that are in Christ will love. This time he's saying, those that aren't Christ will not love. Verse nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Go ahead and tag on verse 10 with that. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation more or less just means like he appeased God's wrath for us. So, with that, we understand from verse seven and eight that love is a fruit of the spirit. As Galatians 5.22 says, love is one of the fruits of the spirit. I believe, it's the, I believe it's the first one named. So in Club 56, we taught the kids this thing for sharing the gospel. We call it the seven C's. What's the first C, boys and girls, if there's any girls in Club 56 in here? What's the first C? Creation. Creation. What's the second C? What's the third C? So catastrophe and 
or corruption and catastrophe. Good job. What's the fourth C? Confusion. What's the fifth C? Commandments. Good job. And the sixth C, the best one, Christ. And the seventh C. <laughs> no, not condensation. That, that has to do with water. Consummation. <laughs> Good job, though. I think they deserve a round of applause. <laughs> Good job, boys. So the first C is creation. So we see in Genesis 131 that God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God made the world. He looked down. He was like, this is awesome. This is great. I did a good job, because he did do a good job. Romans 1.20, as Paul writes, clearly shows that there is a divine creator, and we can identify that from creation. Paul writes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without an excuse. So Paul is pretty blunt. He's saying, you've seen creation. That's enough to send you to hell if you don't repent and put your faith in Christ. The second C is corruption. And corruption refers to the doctrine of original sin, that because of Adam and Eve's sin of thinking they knew better than God, they are now born, all men are born sinners. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that specific day, I've got to ask you all a question. Did they physically die? Did they cease to live? No, right? Was God being a liar or given an empty threat? Of course not. God is truth. He wouldn't know. He he cannot do it because he's truth. They spiritually died. And because of that, we all are born spiritually dead. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I know that this has been pretty negative so far, but as I was telling first service, you gotta have your broccoli before you have your cheesecake, right? Gotta, gotta have the bad stuff for the good stuff. The third C is catastrophe. So we're not getting any more positive yet. Genesis 6, 5 through 8 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Our sin leads to catastrophe. For those that aren't repentant and don't put their faith in Christ, they have the ultimate catastrophe of, of eternity in hell. Even for us, though, we can, our sin can lead to catastrophe. You know, if you commit adultery, you're going to destroy your family. Even generally speaking, I would say God's judgment has been shown in our world in the past year, wouldn't y'all say? Year and a half with COVID. All right. The fourth C is confusion. Do y'all know the story of the Tower of Babel? So I'm gonna summarize it really quick. So these people were like, what if we built a giant tower? Wouldn't that just be epic? It'd be awesome. And so they built a giant tower. But God, in his grace, spreads them apart. They, they know different languages and they don't build the tower. And you might be asking, why are you saying that was because of God's grace? 
Well, if God doesn't do that, they're all going to be idolizing that tower forever and they're going to go to hell. God graciously separates them so that he can give them a chance at redemption. Okay, the fifth C is the commandments. And in the Church of America, we don't like this word. We feel that the commandments are bad. That kind of makes God look like a helicopter parent. But God's not a helicopter parent. God's a very loving father. And so he wants what's best for us. A few points that I want to hit with the law. Jesus himself said, as Pastor Jimmy pointed out a couple weeks ago, I didn't put the reference down, so I'm sorry, Ryan. But Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Something else that we need to understand with the Ten Commandments is that God's not limited to the Ten Commandments, but it's a reflection of who God is. So the reason why God tells us not to lie, God is truth. The reason why he doesn't want us to idolize other things is because me idolizing my water or television or my friends, whatever it is, what good is that? But God is love, and so he wants me to love what's best for me. And finally, the Ten Commandments are part of God's grace because, as we stated earlier, we're born sinners. So it's not like you break one of the Ten Commandments, boom, you're on your way to hell. No, you're on your way to hell, and the Ten Commandments reveal your need for a Savior. And that Savior is Christ, the sixth C. Christ simply means Messiah or the Anointed One. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came down to earth and was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus was, and still is, fully God and fully man. Keep that in mind. Fully God, fully man. That's important. We see this proven in John 1.1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Will you go and go to verse 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So immediately, John's like, hey, Jesus is God in the flesh. This is important. You need to know that, or you'll be in very bad heresy. And on top of that, this is a parallel of when God rained down manna to the Israelites in Exodus 16, because Jesus comes down and he tabernacles with us, with his bride. Jesus did a lot of great things on earth. He worked miracles, he healed people, he taught great stuff. But ultimately, his mission was to rescue his bride. As Jesus said himself in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Which, fun fact, that's the verse of the day today on you version. I didn't plan that. I couldn't have. But <laughs> I saw that and I was like, that's crazy. So the question is, why does Jesus have to lay down his life for his sheep? Why can't he just... Why can't the father just wink at our sin and be like, yeah, you know, lying's not that bad, you know, murder's not that bad, whatever it is, and yeah, you can come to heaven. No, that doesn't make any sense. God is just, and God is love, and God chooses for love and justice to be linked together. And so, in order for that to be on full display, Jesus had to die on the cross to take on our sin and take on God's wrath for us. And we see this in Psalm 65, 3, when David writes, Iniquities overwhelm me, only you can atone for our rebellions. So David is showing we can't save ourselves. We need God to save us and take our penalty, fully God, but also who can pay for man's sin? Man has to pay for man's sin. That's why the incarnation of Christ is so important in the gospel. Because without it, we are still dead in our sin. But instead, we are able to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so before we continue, also Jesus 
resurrected from the dead and really sealed that promise of God. But before we continue, how many of us have an issue having peace with our lack of faith? Anybody? Or is that just me? Shout out to people for raising their hands with me. I was like, is it just me? Uh, um, I'm going to give you all some reassurance, some hope, but it's going to be a gut punch. Uh, Paul Washer said, there is no such thing as a great man of God, only weak, pitiful, faithless men of a great and merciful God. So think about that as we look at Matthew 17, 20. Jesus says specifically to Peter, because of your little faith, meaning Peter wanted to do something cool. I think it was healed, but I cannot remember off the top of my head. Uh, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a, like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, so let's think about this for a minute. Think about the most faithful person you can think of. I've had Preston in my mind since I thought about this. Preston, have you ever moved a mountain before? No. I'll do you one better. Can you move the stage with your faith? What if we all work together and put our faith together? Do you think we can move the stage or even a mountain? No. Jesus, I gotta give you all a quick background. I was at a Bible study and with the RUF campus minister at Carson Naiman, free plug for RUF. Anyway, and Chandler, the campus minister, said Jesus is dunking on us because our faith is so small that it makes a mustard seed. Do you have the picture of the mustard? It makes that look big. That's how small our faith is because our faith, the size of our faith, even tinier than that, where we have to look at, look at it through a microscope, as tiny as that is, it's not that important. It's what we put our faith in, and that's Jesus because he is beautiful and he is faithful. So I hope that was reassuring. If not, I'm sorry, I did my best. <laughs> uh, so the seventh C is condensation, right guys? <laughs> Consummation. We're gonna look at Revelation 21, one through four. I know Revelation can be weird, but this is pretty clear cut. The apostle John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of, the, of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will, wipe his, or they will be with his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Will you go back to verse two? That's really where I want to zoom in for this part. Um, in verse two, John wrote, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride to be adorned for her husband. So I want y'all to think about a wedding. Oh, I time to tie my shoe, anyway. So when you're at a wedding, you can't help but notice the bride, right? She's the most beautiful woman there. She's always stunning. Preston, I bet you still think that, you're, that your bride is the most beautiful woman in the world, don't you? Absolutely. That's the way Jesus looks at us as his bride. So just because we screw up, because we do a lot, ain't that right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> just because we screw up a lot, whether you missed your quiet time or you got mad while driving and started cussing, I really don't know what y'all do in your free time. But I know that y'all screw up because I know I screw up and the Bible's clear on that. <laughs> But whatever it is, we can rest in this truth that God is faithful and he will come ransom his bride. Jesus already paid the price for his bride. Also, I want you to know, I'm not giving you a pass to sin. No antinomianism here. 
we, we don't do that here, but we also reject moralism. So, okay. So that's verses seven through 10. And I don't have much more time. So, you know, it is what it is, but we're going to keep going. I hope I don't hold y'all too long from your barbecue or whatever you're having. So the next point is that the security of God's love through the gospel should lead us to love others. So loving others is a fruit of the gospel. Let's read 11, verses 11 through 12 again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John MacArthur wrote in uh, the MacArthur Study Bible for the commentary of these two verses, God sending his son gives Christians not only salvation privilege, but obligation to follow his pattern of sacrificial love. Christian love must be self-sacrificing like God's love. Let me repeat that. God sending his son gives Christians not only salvation privilege, so not only salvation, but obligation to follow this pattern of sacrificial love. Christian love must be self-sacrificing like God's love. So first we need to love the body. So as Christians, we need to love each other. I know it's hard. I know we don't always like each other. But the fact of the matter is we do have to love each other because Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we have to love the bride. We need to love the bride well. On top of that, we need to love the lost. Um, Paul writes in Romans 9, 1 through 3, nobody panic, we're not going too far into Romans 9, but he does write, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, for my kinsmen according to the flesh. So what Paul is basically saying there is, I wish I could lose my salvation and give it, he's talking specifically about about Israel, but just in general, and I wish I could give my salvation to you. And I feel as though we should have that same heartache for the loss for the lost, excuse me. And loving others means that we abide in God and God abides in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. So let me go and do verses 14 to 15 too. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So something we need to understand. At the moment of salvation, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? In Christianity, there are no second-class citizens. It's not like some have the Holy Spirit and, you know, they're up in first class and they're having their champagne and caviar, whatever they do in first class. And then in second class, we're stuck with our Sprite and our Cheetos. (laughs) We're all equal. We all have the Holy Spirit as Christians. And God, God is love and he loves his bride, as verse 16 says. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay, third point, God's love is secure because he first loved us. So, okay, sorry guys, need a second. Verse 17 says, By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is is so also we are in the world. For some reason, John really puts a tongue twister there for me. I don't know why I can't read it. But the main point is we have confidence on the day of judgment because of God's love for us. Since we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus, we should have no fear for the day of judgment. The Father will pardon us because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus, with the blood of his son. That's a promise from God, and God is truth. 
He will not lie. Uh, second part. So verse 18, I'm going to go ahead and read it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So John's repeating verse 17, but in the negative. But something else that we need to understand is that love needs to be our weapon to combat the hate in the world. Because of God's love, as I said, fear, or as John said, excuse me, fear is cast out. Because God is a loving father, not a helicopter parent. We should not hide our sin from God because not only does he already know, but he's faithful and just to forgive you, as 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So something that we need to understand is what love is not. Love is not acceptance of sin. If you truly love someone, you will warn them that they're on the highway to hell, okay? But also it's not hate. And by that, I mean, warning someone of hell does not need to look like Westboro Baptist in Kansas, where they protest the funerals of military soldiers or of the homosexuals. That's not love either. That's just being a jerk, if I'm just going to be blunt here. And the thing is, true biblical love that we need to combat the hate in the world is Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world that makes the darkness tremble, as, he, as the Apostle John writes in John 1. We need to share his message and we also need to live out the teachings that he gave us in the Gospels and in the Epistles in the Old Testament. We need to be, as Jesus says in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the poor in spirit, those that, basically those that acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy, those who mourn over their sin, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and those that are persecuted for the name of Jesus. So practically, what is verse 18 look like? What is our weapon? What is using Jesus as our weapon to fight hate look like? This can start out with building relationships with the lost. Sometimes it's gonna take a relationship because we kind of have to prove that not all Christians are jerks. The reason why the world hates us, the world will hate us, it does because Jesus said they will. A big part of that is the message of Jesus really hurts somebody's pride because you're saying you're not good enough, you need Jesus. Raise your hand if you struggle with pride. Come on, everybody, raise your hands with me. If you're not raising your hand, then you're a proud liar, so congrats. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yes, Christ's message hurts a person's pride. But on top of that, we've done it to ourselves a little bit, don't y'all think? Like, Westboro Baptist, or I'm sure even I've done it before, where I've shot myself in the foot with somebody and made Christians look bad. So on top of building relationships, we are to pursue biblical justice. I'm gonna be blunt with y'all. I don't like the phrase social justice because it has a million different definitions to a million different people. So I just call it biblical justice. Pursue biblical justice. Fight against the injustices of sex trafficking or the murder of children with abortion while also preaching the gospel of Christ. Because yes, we should fight sex trafficking. I'm very much against sex trafficking. But just changing somebody's circumstance does not change their destination, okay? Preach the gospel while pursuing that stuff. And finally, fellowshipping with each other. As Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Also, free plug, join the young men's small group. We meet Sunday nights at 6.30. Um, but seriously, plug into a small group. Start a Bible study. Do something to spend time with other believers. Whatever it is, you need each other. We are the body together. And... Third point for this part is in verse 19, which John writes, we love because he first loved us. We are only able to love because of God's love for us. 
God so loved us that he sent Jesus to redeem us, his bride. Remember, the groom is returning for his bride, and the groom loves his bride. Charles Spurgeon, and it's not a Zach Feldman sermon without Charles Spurgeon being quoted once, but he said, what love is this that shone on us when we were serfs and slaves of Satan, the dishwashers in the kitchen of iniquity? Point four, loving is non-negotiable for someone that is secure in God's love. Verse 20 says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So loving God leads to loving others, okay? If you hate someone but can't claim Christ, John's calling you a liar. And I want you to know, I'm gonna go with the guy who was inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit and not with one of y'all that are saying that you can hate somebody. Um, and finally, I didn't do this as much the service, but first service, I said finally like 10 times. But finally for the point four, John repeats himself in verse 21 when he says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So if you love God, you must love your brothers and sisters in Christ and we have to love the world. Okay, so for application, as I close, for those of you, I don't know any of your hearts. So if you have not put your faith in Christ, I would really invite you to do that today. Because if you call upon the name of the Lord, let's just look at what Jesus says in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. If you call on the name of the Lord, he will never cast you out. And for Christians, for the body of Christ, I want to challenge you to evaluate how you are loving others. Are you passively allowing your brother or sister to live in sin? Because that's not loving. Are you being hateful to people on the internet's over politics? Because that's not loving. Do you have hate in your heart for the opposite political party? For, I don't know, if you're a Democrat, do you hate Donald Trump? Or if you're a, if you're a Republican, do you hate Joe Biden? Because we can't do that either. Just because they're in authority doesn't mean that they're above being loved. We all have ways we are being unloving. That's all of us. So let's go out and show the world how beautiful Christ is, no matter how offensive it is, because it's gonna be offensive. And let's make sure when people are offended, it is by the message of Christ and not because you're being a jerk. So that's it. I'm gonna pray and then I'll dismiss. But if you need to talk to somebody, Pastor Philip and Preston are up there, over there. I'm up here, talk to a friend. Whatever you need, just find somebody. Let's pray.